this week, um, we're talking about something uh, that uh, I, as a pastor, used to be so nervous to talk about. And I'm still a little nervous to talk about it, but like not nearly as much as I used to be. Uh, it's a huge topic that we can't fully explore in one night, which, you know, we're used to around here. Um, it's something that pokes at many of the doubts that um, many of us hold in tension with faith. Um, it's something that I'm not sure we can ever fully understand. And it's something that's been kind of abused throughout history uh, to trick and control people. Um, and, and the thing that we're talking about tonight is miracles. Um, what is a miracle? It's kind of elusive. It's kind of hard to define. Well, if you Google it, the Oxford Dictionary says, uh, a miracle is a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. That seems to sum it up pretty well. And there are miracles all over the Bible, but all over the book of Acts that we're in right now. Um, just a few of them I will mention. There are 11 stories of miraculous healing, often a large group of people being healed. Uh, there are three miraculous jailbreaks. Um, people have conversations with a resurrected Jesus at least twice. Uh, speaking of resurrections, uh, the story begins with a resurrected Jesus. That's a miracle. Um, there's a guy named Eutychus, which is a cool name, um, <laughs> who falls asleep during one of Paul's sermons and falls out of a window. But he's brought back to life. So um, boring sermons can be a problem is the lesson there. Um, Peter revives and heals a, a, a woman named Dorcas. And uh, the healing is not giving her a new name that isn't Dorcas. That is not something that is done. Her name is actually Tabitha, but that's Aramaic and it means gazelle. And so they translated her name from Aramaic to Greek and Greek in gazelle in Greek is Dorcas, um, which probably was fine then. Sounds weird to us now. Um, there's some crazy teleportations as miracles that happen in this book. Jesus ascends to heaven in front of his friends. A guy named Philip, who has a great name, uh, is teleported from being with a, a eunuch. He's talking to a eunuch. And then one minute he's there with him. And then in an instant, he's suddenly in another city completely altogether. Uh, Paul, at the end of Acts, is bitten by a venomous snake. And he just, like Taylor Swift, uh, shakes it off and he's fine. Um, there's tons of other things that are described just as signs and wonders. And that's not even a comprehensive list. Like that's just a couple of the, the occurrences, the, the miracles and supernatural occurrences that happen in the book of Acts. So what are we to make of these miracles showing up in these stories? Especially in our modern enlightened culture where miracles and the supernatural are often looked at with disdain. You know, we're conditioned to scoff at the notion of miracles. And I think that reason is at least twofold. Um, we're conditioned to be skeptical about miracles, right? Um, there have been liars and fakes and cheats throughout history who have abused the idea of miracles and faked miracles for their own gain. I think equally as, um, I don't know, damaging to the idea of miracles is all of us know someone who throws around the idea of miracles way too liberally. Like to them, <laughs> everything is a miracle. And uh, they probably are much happier people than I am, but... But it's like, Diane, you just misplaced your keys and you finding them is not a miracle. That's just you finding your keys. But, you know, there are people that are like, everything is a miracle. I think those are kind of, we're conditioned to be skeptical for those two reasons. But the second reason is something that we've talked about before, and that's um, the 
ever-present scientism and radical empiricism that really enjoys uh, free reign in our culture. Uh, it, basically, the idea is that the only real and true knowledge uh, is that which can be attained by scientific methods. Um, if you can't prove it with science, it's not worth your time. And uh, I say this as a huge fan of science. Um, but the idea sort of in that realm is that miracles are for simple-minded, uneducated people who don't know better, right? Um, or, or it's some natural phenomenon that we don't fully understand yet, but we will be able to eventually and be able to describe it in completely natural means. There's this notion in our culture that, that faith and, and miracles are sort of pitted against science. And to be perfectly honest with you, more often than not, I buy into that kind of false dichotomy. And it, it, it is false. It's a faulty assertion because the miraculous is by definition beyond the scope of science. Science is limited to describing all matter and energy in the universe that showed up at the moment of creation or what people call the singularity or the Big Bang or whatever you want to call it. To talk about anything beyond this matter and energy is to go beyond the scope of science. Yet we're so often told by science that there is nothing be in the universe beyond matter and energy, but that, that statement itself is unscientific. You ca it cannot be backed up through scientific means. You cannot use a field limited to energy and matter to prove that nothing exists between beyond energy and matter. So, all this to say, a belief in miracles does not make you uneducated or anti-science or simple-minded in and of itself. It simply means that you're open to the idea that we don't understand everything and that perhaps there is more to reality behind the matter and energy that we can measure. And perhaps there is a creator who is able in some way to be active and at work within the matter and energy of the universe. Contrary to the way that is cast in our culture as being illogical and irrational and simple-minded, I think everything I've just laid out strikes me as a reasonable and nuanced and humble and open-handed open position to take. And this is the posture that I try to assume when talking about miracles and, and as we approach these stories and acts that we're talking about tonight. Um, I try to be open-handed. I try to surrender disbelief, which is sometimes easier than others. I try to give the benefit of the doubt to scripture. And I think if we're willing to approach the text that we're going to be reading tonight this way, uh, these stories have something to teach us. So tonight we're going to be looking at one of, um, well, the first story of miraculous healing in Acts. Uh, this is chapter three, verses one through 16. I'm going to read it and then I'm just going to offer a couple of reflections. I think these each could have been their own talk, and I couldn't decide between them. So you get to hear a brief reflection uh, of all of them. Um, it's going to be fine. You're going to love it. Uh, and then we'll close. Um, so this story is picking up right after the events that we discussed last week, the Pentecost and the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. 
Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he, he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus's name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So again, I'm just going to uh, offer a couple brief reflections, things that stood out to me in this story of a miraculous healing. Uh, The first thing that stood out to me, this is not the point of the story, but it's something that I could not um, get out of my head, uh, which is God knows what we need better than we do. And sometimes he gives us something far better than what we're asking for. Again, this isn't the point of the story, but put yourself in this man's position for a minute. He was born unable to walk. His whole life, he has been completely dependent on other people. He can't even uh, come to beg for money without depending on other people carrying him there. And he's, he's there being pretty practical, right? This is a guy who's just trying to survive. If he ever had dreams of walking someday, he probably left them behind a long, long time ago. So he's there asking for what he thinks he needs to survive, which is money. Money is only going to temporarily relieve his situation, right? As soon as it runs out, he needs to be right back at that gate begging again. But it's all he can do. He was born this way. He wouldn't dare dream of being able to move on his own, to not be utterly dependent on everyone or anyone else around him for his very survival. So he asked for the thing that he thinks he needs the most, the means to survive another day. And God gives him something so much more and so much better, something he needed beyond his dreams. It caused me to stop and reflect and ask myself, Am I willing to ask for what I need, even if it's the wrong thing? A lot of times I'm not. Like I don't ask for what I think I need because I, I feel silly or I feel selfish or I have thoughts like, who do you think you are? <laughs> Just be grateful for what you do have, which is a valid thought, but gratitude shouldn't equate to shut up and sit down, right? But these are the conversations I have with myself. Asking for what we need, even if it's the wrong thing, requires courage. It's a vulnerable position to be in, and and you have to have the courage and confidence to hear no. And maybe I'm too scared to hear no to put myself in a position to hear yes. But God knows what I need better than I do. And sometimes I need to be willing to ask. If this man hadn't been there that day asking for things, asking for what he thought he needed, we have no idea what would have happened to him. We don't know if he would have been healed, but we do know that he was there. He was willing to ask and he was persistent in asking for what he needed. God knows what we need better than we do. And sometimes he gives us something far better than what we're asking for. 
So are you willing to ask for what you think you need, even if it's the wrong thing? That's the first thing that stood out to me. Another thing that struck me about the story is that Peter offers what he does have. The man asks for money. Peter doesn't have money. And he could just say, nah, man, I don't have any, like I've done to a million people on the side of the road. But what he does have, he gives willingly, which was faith in Jesus. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a willingness to dream more for this man than he could bring himself to dream. That's something we all have to offer each other. The belief and trust that God wants what's best for the people in our lives. And putting that belief into action through prayer is something that we can all do. Peter offered what he did have. Do you offer what you do have? Do you believe you even have anything to offer people who are suffering? I think we hear stories like this and we're really intimidated because we think we have nothing to offer unless we're able to heal people like this. So we don't. But Peter doesn't heal this man. (laughs) He makes it clear Jesus is the one who heals, not Peter. Peter tells the man to walk in Jesus's name. And then when the crowd gathers and are astonished, Peter's unequivocal in saying, it's Jesus who healed this man. What Peter offers is a willingness to ask um, for this man what the man wouldn't dare ask for himself, to believe and to want better for him than he could bring himself to want anymore and to pray to that end. You can, you can do that too. I'm not necessarily telling you to go around telling paralyzed people to get up and walk. What I take away from this story is being willing to intercede for people. The results aren't your responsibility. But the love and care that you show people by by wanting and believing and praying more for them is a gift that we can all freely offer one another and the people that God brings into our lives. Maybe the thing that struck me the most about this passage is um, when Peter confronts the astonished crowd, he asks them, why are you surprised? This amazing, incredible miracle has just happened. And Peter says, why are you guys surprised? They're at the temple, right? If you remember from last week, this is where people believed that the spirit of God uniquely dwells. They believe that they are uniquely close to the presence of an all-powerful creator of the universe And then they're legitimately surprised when he shows up. (laughs) They're surprised when he actually does something because they don't expect it to happen. Is that that convicting to you? Because it is to me. I tend to be super skeptical if I ever hear talk about miracles. And so I almost certainly do not expect them to happen. It's easier for me to mitigate my disappointment and the disappointment of others by just not expecting these things to happen. But that can be a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If I don't expect it, I tend to not be looking for it. And if I'm not looking for it, I'm probably not going to see it. Maybe I would experience more if I expected it more. I don't know. But I do know that if I'm not looking for it, I'm probably not going to see it because we tend to see what we're looking for. So do you expect God to show up in your life in miraculous ways? Miracles certainly seem to be the exception and not the rule, right? That's sort of the nature of what they are. So perhaps having an expectation for these things to happen, I don't know, maybe that's too strong a point, but for me, this story encourages me to be open to the possibility of God showing up in miraculous ways. At the very least, be open to the possibility and to at least be willing to be on the lookout for it. 
The last thing I want to touch on is uh, there's no formula for healing. The story that we just read is not, not the way it always happens. Even within the Bible, there's no formula. Uh, there's this, I mean, there's so many stories of healing in the Bible that happen in different ways, but there's this one story in particular that always comes to mind to me in Matthew where the disciples try to heal this little boy and they can't do it. They try and try and try and they can't, <laughs> they can't do it. And so the father brings the child to Jesus and he's like, listen, your guys cannot seem to do anything right. Can you help us? Can, can you heal my son? Because they can't do it. Doesn't always happen the way that we expect it to. Doesn't always happen the same way. The Bible's not an instruction manual, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's not a step-by-step, do this, do this, do this, and you get this. The Bible is not a way to control God to our ends. It's a collection of stories written over thousands of years in many different places and many different times to many different people in several different languages. And as a whole, it helps us understand who God is and who we are. And then what happens when those two things collide? What it doesn't tell us is why God chooses to heal some and not others. And that's always a hard conversation. This is probably one of the things that makes it so nerve-wracking to talk about something like this. And, and one thing that is particularly, a subject that's particularly painful for some of us right now. I know that some of us have lost dear friends and, and family members uh, and beloved parents in just the past few days and weeks, all to illnesses. Illnesses that many, many people were praying for healing from. Begging God to step in and miraculously heal these people that we love. And I honestly don't know why God doesn't heal some people. I don't know why he doesn't heal some people immediately. And I I wish that I had a good answer for this, but I'm not going to give you some shallow or easy answer, especially if you're here tonight and you've been begging for healing and haven't received it. I'm not going to insult your struggle or pain by pretending that I have an answer for you because I don't. And to be perfectly honest with you, um, I'm not saying this is universally true. I'm saying for myself, I'm not sure that I can definitively say when an actual miracle has happened to me, Um, especially when it comes to healing. Uh, The closest thing that I have to experiencing something miraculous, uh, a miraculous healing like this is is, um, back in 2009, Uh, I had this weird condition where the lining of my knee joint called synovium um, just started needlessly growing for no apparent reason, which is a cool thing for your body to start doing. Um, And it's super uncomfortable. If you know anything about knees, and I think everyone in this room does, you know that there's not a lot of room in here. And so when stuff just starts growing, it gets crowded real, real quick. Um, And I sat at a desk pretty much all day at that time in my life because I was a software developer. So I would sit for sometimes like 10 hours at a time writing code. And it got so bad, my knee got so bad and so accelerated that sometimes after sitting for just a few hours, when I would go to stand up, I'd have to actually break tissue in my knee to be able to bend my knee again. Sorry, that's probably too much information. And uh, it's as awful as it sounds. It hurts so bad. Um, And I went to doctor after doctor after doctor and no one could figure out what was going on. Uh, tests, the tests that people were doing were getting more and more invasive and more and more painful. 
Um, and so I was beginning to come to terms with the idea that, that I might just deal with this the rest of my life. It was a few months that this went on. And I was 22 and trying to come to terms with having what was basically like an unusable knee. One night, I remember my, he- my knee hurting like particularly bad, so bad that I, I just couldn't sleep. Um, and so this is probably like 3 a.m. or something. Um, but this idea popped in my head that I was supposed to ask this very specific friend of mine to pray for my knee. And I have to tell you that I, I, I think I might have said out loud, this, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever thought. Like, how is that going to help? But the idea wouldn't go away. I didn't want to do it. The idea wouldn't go away. I knew that I was seeing this person the next day and I was desperate. And finally, probably around 5 a.m. after not sleeping, I was like, it's not going to get worse. I have nothing to lose. Uh, so I went to my friend and said, I know this sounds weird, but I feel like you're supposed to pray for my knee. Would you mind doing that? And he was all about it. He was very nice about it. He was very cool. Uh, he put his hand on his knee and prayed for me. And I still vividly remember because his hand was like super warm, <laughs> which felt incredible. Um, that's not an important detail, but you know, when you have a sore joint, it feels great to have some warmth there. Uh, anyway, <laughs> nothing happened. Nothing happened. I still dealt with the issue. But the next doctor that I went to somehow knew exactly what it was. I'm not kidding. Like right away was like, "Mm, I bet it's this. He got an MRI and was like, yep, that's what it is. And within a week I had surgery and I was fine. Within a week after months of suffering, finally found this guy that was just like, yep, done. You're good. And I've been fine ever since. If coach had put me in, we just would have won state. Um, Just kidding. Coach never put me in. Um, now, I don't, I don't know if that was a miracle, right? I know that living in a time when something that painful ended up being such a simple fix that with, within just a week, I was having surgery that wasn't that invasive and, and it fixed everything. I know that that's miraculous. But I don't know that, uh, that I would, wouldn't have found the same doctor and w- he wouldn't have figured out the problem right away if I hadn't had my friend pray for my knee. Probably, I don't know. I know for sure I would have been less inclined to seek out more doctors because I was losing hope that anything could be done for me. And my friend praying for me and being interested in what was going on for my life and genuinely like caring about my well-being motivated me to keep seeking help. But I can't definitively say that was a miracle, right? Like if he had put his hand on me and all of a sudden everything went away and I was good, that feels like undeniable. What happened to me, I choose to believe that God was actively working in that situation. But, you know, no little bird came down from heaven and was like, this is a miracle or something like that to tell me definitively this is happening. All that to say, if I can't definitively say when miracles are happening, I certainly can't tell you why they don't happen, right? But I will offer this. Keep asking. Don't lose hope. Which I know is way easier to say than do. But at the very least, don't don't suffer alone. Often when we're in pain and we're on the verge of losing all hope after begging and begging and begging and nothing changing, we tend to isolate ourselves because we don't want to be a burden to other people. And I understand that. I, I'm, I have the same inclinations, but that's not how relationships work, right? <laughs> that's not what this church is about. At the very least, I give you permission to burden me. Let us plead alongside of you. 
It might not fix anything, but it certainly makes it more bearable to have people alongside of you. It certainly makes it more bearable than suffering alone. And there are so many people here who are willing to do that with and for you. All right. I've thrown a lot at you, so we're going to wind this down. Um, In closing, there's no easy or formulaic answers when it comes to this stuff, right? All I can say is belief in the miraculous is not in and itself irrational or illogical. God is loving and powerful and active in the world, often through his creation, which includes you and I. And he calls us to be bold, to be faithful, and to ask for what we need, and to give what we do have to others. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you are um, active in the world and in our lives. God, for um, anyone in this room suffering right now or hearing the sound of my voice, suffering with with pain and illness, God, I, I do pray for a miracle for them. And beyond that, God, I pray that um, you would soften our hearts to be more on the lookout for you showing up in the world. You would soften our hearts so that we would be more willing to give the things that we do have for those who are in need, that we would be more willing to intercede and and care for one another and show um, our love for one another. At the very least, giving, giving people hope and motivation to continue, to continue on. God, I pray that you would show up in a way that we can't deny. God, thank you for this place and these people. We love you. Amen.